Hello, and welcome to Mrs. Calhoun's Process of Care. Join me as we go week by week through the dental hygiene process of care. Come join the fun. Hello, hello, hello. Last week, we really dove into the part of hard tissue examination, um, dental deposits, biofilm calculus and stain, um, the periodontium, periodontal disease um, development, and periodontal examination, as well as we concluded the week with indices and scoring methods, which is something we got we had already discussed in previous classes. Um, so we have wrapped up the uh, dental hygiene assessment portion of the process of care, that, that nice A, the, the assessment. This week we are going to dive into dental hygiene, diagnosis, and care planning, and we're going to start talking about the prevention, the prevention part of implementation. All right, chapter 22, the dental hygiene diagnosis. So, after we finish all of our assessments, we are going to um, come up with our diagnosis for what we see in the patient. This is different than the dental diagnosis, so any hard tissue that needs to be um, restored will be the dental uh, portion of the um, diagnosis, but this is just the dental hygiene diagnosis. And so, the four basic steps to be considered when we are planning the patient care is to collect all the assessments, which we have done, to establish the diagnosis, and then to just select the treatment and the education interventions that are based on those diagnostic findings. And then finally, we want to develop a formal care plan. Um, as we learned way back at the beginning of the term, the process of care has the assessments, the dental hygiene diagnosis, um, the planning, the implementation, the um, treatment or the uh, evaluation, and then um, documentation. So we are here in step two, our dental hygiene diagnosis, um, and this is the result of the analysis and the synthesis of the um, assessment data and the application of the clinical judgment and critical thinking skills of the clinician. And then we, as always, we're going to use our evidence-based um, approach um, to formulate a, a dental hygiene care sequence um, and to provide this care to the, to the patient. Okay, so the findings of the assessment. This is a key factor in determining what our diagnose, how we're going to diagnose. So number one, when we are going over medical history and we're doing our vitals, um, before we do our vitals, we ask our patient what their chief complaint is. And the chief complaint is the patient's statement regarding the reason for seeking dental or dental hygiene care. They may say, I have it pain on the upper right tooth, or I notice sometimes when I brush and floss, my gums bleed. So that the gums bleeding would be more of the dental hygiene um, care that they're seeking, and a pain in the tooth might be something 
from the dental aspect, right? A significant concern expressed by a patient such as pain is addressed before initiating dental hygiene treatment. Pain in, automatically indicates a red flag and that is the first thing that we want to address in the patient. So if anything comes up, any um, question comes up, critical thinking wise, the very first thing we're going to do is address any pain. So um, risk factors are also things that we are going to look at when we are trying to put together our um, diagnosis and our care plan. Um, risk factors increase the patient's potential for di uh, diminished oral health. As we've learned before, there are modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors. Modifiable risk factors are determinants that can be modified by intervention, um, thereby reducing the probability of disease. An example would be smoking, um, exercise for um, uh, you know a a diabetic or someone with heart disease, um, nutritional counseling. Um, these are all things that we are going to do. Um, high sugar intake. We are going to discuss that with our patients because that's all part of nutritional counseling. Our anticipatory guidance is um, through preventative uh, education preventive education, excuse me, and counseling um, is an essential component of the care plan for the patient exhibiting one or more risk factors. So um, say diet is an issue and um, our anticipatory guidance would be to educate them about nutritional counseling, right? Um, so that is, that is what that is called. It is prevention counseling. It is also um, anticipatory guidance. So we are guiding them in the anticipation of, of risk factors that could be um, changing their, their health, oral health. So one of the types of risk factors is individual risk factors for, uh, for periodontal disease, right? So let's look at those. Stress. Um, lifestyle choices, tobacco and alcohol use, gender, cultural and ethnicity, because remember some people are at higher risk of periodontal disease just based on their um, culture and eth uh, ethnicity, systemic conditions such as patients who are pre-diabetic, diabetic, diabetic <laughs> obesity, um, metabolic syndrome, or osteoporosis, those are, we, are higher risk factors, genetic factors, and nutritional status, dietary calcium. Uh, cal dietary calcium and vitamin D. Periodontal disease associated with systemic conditions. We have discussed this. We are going to continue to discuss this, right? So um, systemic conditions that are associated are cardiovascular disease, diabetes myelitis, metabolic syndrome, obesity, respiratory disease, especially things like pneumonia, um, and now, you know, it could also, um, you know, uh, COVID, we don't know that yet, um, adverse pregnancy outcomes, and osteoporosis. And then there's risk factors for dental caries. And patients that are at risk, factor, have risk factors for um, dental caries would include behavioral factors such as inadequate biofilm removal, so 
poor brushing habits, dietary factors, low fluoride intake, tooth morphology, and the positioning. So malocclusion or um, deep occlusal pit and fissures, exposed root surfaces, rotated teeth, patients with xerostomia, personal and family history of dental caries or restorative dentistry, developmental factors, modifications of dental enamel, and genetic factors, an immune response. And then finally, the last um, type of risk factor that we would look at would be risk factors for oral cancer. Now, we will, in clinic, do a periodontal risk assessment. We will do a caries risk assessment, and we will do an oral cancer risk assessment. That way you can know from these, where you know, from doing these assessments, which um, category, whether they're low risk, moderate risk, or high risk. So for oral cancer, your risk factors are if you are um, tobacco of any kind, both smokeless and um, cigarette and vaping, um, heavy alcohol use, excessive sun exposure to the face and lips, or exposure to the human papillomavirus, HPV, and then genetic susceptibility. As we know, when we go over medical history, the next thing that we'll do is the, determine the patient's overall health status. And that is something that we are going to know when we're doing our medical history. So, But that all plays a role in determining our care plan, right? So um, there are two different um, ways of classification. There is your American Society of Anesthesiologists, the ASA classifications, which we use in our clinic, ASA 1, ASA 2, ASA 3, ASA 4, and ASA 5. Um, those are, you know, your different uh, ASA classifications. ASA 1 is without systemic disease, ha healthy, normal patient with little to no dental anxiety. Um, ASA 2 is mild systemic disease or extreme dental uh, anxiety. ASA 3 is a systemic disease with lim that limits activity but is not incapacitating. ASA three, uh, 4 is incapacitating disease that is a constant threat to life. And 5 is when a patient is um, not, uh, you know, it, it, the mortality rate is... is um, low and um, they're, expect, they're expected, um, not expected to survive very long. So end-stage renal, hepatic, um, infectious disease, or terminal cancers or those type of things. And then another systemic approach um, to determining physical status is the OSCAR, which is the Oral Systemic Capability, Autonomy, and Reality Planning Guide. And so the oral, the factors of the of concern would be teeth, restoration, prosthesis, periodontium, pulpal status, oral mucosa, occlusal, I mean occlusion, saliva, tongue, and alveolar bone. Um, all things that we are going to look at when we're, you know, we're going to look at their saliva flow, we're looking at their mucosa, we're, you know, pulpal status, things like that. Um, Systemic is any normative age changes, medical diagnoses, pharmacological agents, and interdisciplinary communication. Capability is the functional ability, um, self-care, caregivers, oral hygiene, transportation to appointments, mobility within dental office. 
autonomy is the ability to make their own decision, dependence on um, alternative or supple um, supplemental decision makers, and then reality is your prioritization of oral health, financial ability or limitations, and then the significance of anticipated lifespan. And when we're looking at the overall health status, the other thing that we are looking at is tobacco use because that affects our oral cavity in whatever form you use it. Um, the oral health care literacy level of a patient is, should also be um, determined when you um, are looking at your assessments. Um, from that, you know, from, you know, it's an individual, before you do an individual care plan, the patient's oral health literacy should be assessed. What do they know? What do they know about nutrition affecting their mouth? What do they know about cigarette smoking affecting their mouth? What do they know about their diabetes affecting their mouth? You will be surprised at how many people do not understand that their body, what goes on in their body actually affects their mouth. Um, and, and that's important that we explain that to them. The, um, the, you know, we are, as well as, you know, prevention specialists, we are educators. We educate them about this and that is really important. Um, and the final step when we are finished, you know, finishing up our assessments is the patient's abil uh, self-care ability, determining if they can do things on their own. And so there are different levels when we are looking at the activity of daily living classification. Um, and this this guide this provides a guide to determine whether adaptive or assistive aids or caregiver training for personal or oral care procedures are necessary. So if you are a level zero, um, your ability to form, you have the ability to perform tasks without assistance. Um, if you are a level one, your ability to perform tasks with some human assistance and may need a device or a mechanical aid, but it, you're still pretty independent. Level two ability um, to perform the task with partial assistance. And then level three would be you need full assistance and you're totally dependent on someone else. All right. Um, that, those there are your, you know, assess, you know, your assessment findings. Your, to touch on that again, to give a little bit of a, um, a, um, brief synopsis of that, you're looking at their chief complaint. That's the very first thing we're looking at, right? What are What is their, what is the problem that they are here seeking? We're going to look at their risk factors. We're going to look at their overall health status. We're going to determine their health literacy level for oral health. And then we're going to find out their ability to, um, to, to take care of their self, themselves. Um, and that right there brings us, will bring us into our periodontal diagnosis and risk level. Okay, so your periodontal diagnosis and risk level. When we're planning for the number and length of appointments in a treatment sequence, it is influenced by both the dental and dental hygiene periodontal diagnosis and the patient's periodontal risk factors, right, and which we've already discussed. 
So we're going to look at their current periodontal status. This is a description of their past and current periodontal conditions, as well as any risk factors that are affecting the prognosis of the disease to determine the patient's current periodontal status. So if you have a patient who um, has had scaling and root planing or non-surgical periodontal therapy, or as they also call it, a deep cleaning before, um, that is going, you know, we need to know that because um, that that is going to alter the way that we are going to treat this patient. Um, and, and, and watch them because if they've already had the disease, they are at a higher risk to have that, to have, to have it um, come back up. Like, you can be in a stable periodontal status after scaling and root planing and getting back onto your your um, uh, routine care and things like that. But if you are seeing a new patient who maybe moved and hadn't been to the dentist in in two years, you are run, you know them telling you that they have had this history. You are at the potential to be looking right back into that problem when you get in there. So that is always good to know. Then we're going to discuss the we're going to look at the classifications of the periodontal disease. We're going to look at the extent, the severity, and um, and the chronic or aggressive nature of the patient's periodontal disease. So remember, uh, the very first thing we're going to look at is, ging is whether it's gingivitis, and gingivitis is the inflammation of the gingiva, right? It changes color, form, texture, um, the position of the margin. There's usually bleeding on probing. And, but there's no attachment loss, and that's where um, your that's where the the issue starts to come in, right? So there is biofilm induced uh, gingivitis, and that is your gingivitis that is, you know, um, has biofilm that is there irritating the tissue. Inadequate brushing, home care is usually the cause of this, um, and you want to establish gingival health through the elimination of those. Um, those pathogens. So, um, so that's that's gingivitis, and then we have stage one periodontitis, which I know we discussed the other day in class. But, and this is mild periodontitis, with the progression of inflammation into the deeper periodontal structures, with slight bone loss and connective tissue attachment um, loss. The subgingival calculus is measured is a measurable pocket depth with bleeding on probing. So you start to get that slight attachment loss. Stage two periodontitis is that more moderate periodontitis with an increase in destruction of the periodontal structures, increased probing depth with bleeding on probing, noticeable loss of inner dental bony support with early to moderate furcation invasion, um, invasions, and then there could be frenemis or, or tooth mobility, okay? And then stage three or stage four, um, it's the further progression of the periodontal inflammation and an increased probing depth with bleeding, major loss of the bony support. Furcations are definitely involved, are definitely there and being able to be found. And then the possible evidence of trauma from the occlusion with increased teeth mobility and frenemis um, and other signs and symptoms. So those are, you know, a brief synopsis, we talked about the um, the staging and grading the other day, but these are your stages, right? So um, kind of gives a little bit, um, I understand we're looking at several different things, but it kind of gives that good 
that good number of how, you know that good explanation for the different stages. Um, parameters of care, you know, you're going to have clinical diagnosis, therapeutic goals, treatment considerations, and outcome assessments for periodontal disease. They're all outlined in that um, the American Academy of Periodontology parameters of care. Um, and then planning considerations are determined by the severity and the parameters of care are um, in the Wilkins text on page 387 and it kind of gives what your therapeutic goals are, what your treatment considerations should be, and then your dental hygiene care plan. So like let's go ahead and look at your stage two, one or two periodontitis, right? You have your with slight to moderate loss of periodontal support, right? So you um, your therapeutic goals are to arrest the progression of the disease and prevent recurrence, and then to preserve health and comfort and function. Your dental treatment plan would be to resolve um, any cons uh, to, uh, if resolution of the condition does not occur, you want to consider periodontal surgery, okay? Your dental hygiene care plan, you want to eliminate and control the systemic and local factors. You want to educate on biofilm control, um, supra and subgingival scaling and root debridement, and then adjunctive antimicrobial agents if if it's not like if you if you clean one side and you notice the next time they come in that there's a one or two areas that is still inflamed, you want to go in and redebride that area and maybe put an antimicrobial agent such as um, arrest in to go in and try to kill whatever is in there. So these are the things. So that's just one example of the parameters of care. So this is a good chart to look at. Um, on to dental caries risk, um, dental caries risk level. So um, restorative treatment for dental caries is provided by the dentist or a dental therapist. However, the plan for dental hygiene care includes interventions aimed at managing risk factors for dental caries. So we are educating on fluoride, uh, you know, fluoride use, um, use of xylitol um, or, or, or um, oral lubrication sprays or gels or mouth rinse or things like that to reduce the risk of dental caries, right? Um, so to, for this, you know, for this area that we just talked about, that both the periodontal diagnosis and risk level and the caries risk level, you know, we want to look at the overall health, oral health of the patient, both past and, and present, current, what's going on. And then we want to know the, how to classify our patients, whether they're gingivitis with no attachment loss, stage one, two, three, or four. One and two has that mild to moderate, three to four has that more, that more severe attachment loss, and bone destruction in three and four. And then we want to look at our caries risk level. So um, what, you know, when we're doing their caries risk assessment, um, and we'll talk about that in, a, in another chapter, you know, we want to know what their risks are and what we can recommend for them and educate them about to decrease that risk. So um, I'll come back and we'll talk about the dental hygiene diagnosis. Okay, the dental hygiene diagnosis. The, 
The dental hygiene diagnosis is a fundamental component of both the medical and the dental care. The dental hygiene diagnosis is part of the process of care, as we already know. It is involve, involving the use of evidence-based analysis and the assessment findings to determine the patient or the community's dental hygiene needs. We are going to look into the Darby book, and the Darby book is going to discuss unmet human needs. And that's a really the thing we're going to focus on there in Chapter 2 of Darby is the unmet human needs, because that's what we use in our clinic here at Fortis to determine um, the care plan for, their, for a patient's needs, right? So the basis for diagnosis is patient interview, chief complaint, identification of oral problems, comprehensive personal, social, medical, and dental histories, physical assessment, vital signs, extraoral examination, and intraoral examination, dental and periodontal charting, and then a series of radiographs. So those are the things that we need to make a proper diagnosis, right? We've said I've said that several times in class. So once we have all these things, we're going to make a diagnostic statement or a dental hygiene diagnosis statement. And for us, there are going to be four statements we're going to make, and we will really go into this in class on Tuesday. Um, but the di diagnostic statement, it provides the basis for developmental uh, or development of the care plan that focuses on education, oral self-care, prevention, dental hygiene treatment within the scope of the dental hygiene practice and referral. So we are, um, if we are looking at different types of dental hygiene diagnostic statements, if the patient states that they have hypersensitivity, we might be able to say, it is, patient states they have hypersensitivity. Um, they, uh, you know, it could be that there's gingival recession resulting from exposed root surfaces. These are things that we already have seen in our assessment, right? If there's gingival bleeding, it could be because related to biofilm accumulation. Um, if they don't have biofilm accumulation, but they're taking a hormonal birth control or they're pregnant um, and there's gingival bleeding, it could be that it could be due to hormonal changes. So they're, you know, on the table on 22.5, it gives great examples of diagnostic statements. And like I said, we're going to do a um, statement, you know, a gingival statement. We're going to do a hard tissue statement. We're going to do a systemic statement. So we'll talk about all this on Tuesday. All right, so dental hygiene prognosis. And this is, so the prognosis um, of a, of the dental hygiene care is the component of medical and dental care um, that forecasts the outcome of the disease or condition. In the dental hygiene process of care, prognosis refers to the, the look ahead to the anticipated outcome or the end point expected from the dental hygiene intervention selected to the patient, right? So um, maybe if a patient has dental hypersensitivity, we might, um, how are we as hygienists going to treatment? You know, how, what could we do? We could place a desensitizing agent on those areas to help reduce the hypersensitivity in that area. It might, might, might not be enough to refer for a gingival graft, but it could be just a very one millimeter recession that is causing hypersensitivity. So we recommend doing a desensitizing agent. We'll get into this more. In, in class a little bit, um, and we'll have fun talking about it. 
Um, so factors in assisting the prognosis is the individual tooth prognosis, the percentage of bone loss, the clinical attachment loss, the extent and type of the bone loss. Is it vertical or is it horizontal? The presence of furcation involvement and severity, mobility, caries, tooth positioning, occlusal trauma. Um, overall prognosis can be age, medical status, rate of disease progression, uh, financial constraints, oral habits. So there's a box on page um, 389 that talks about the criteria for various prognosis. A good prognosis would be they can adequately control the etiological factors. We can adequately control the patient's self-care ability. We can add, you know, adequate periodontal support. Fair would mean that there's less than 25% attachment loss, class one or class two vacation. When we start getting into that questionable and hopeless, it's you know, like I said, the patient I had a couple weeks ago where the tooth was just hanging on, that there is um, the in inadequate attachment. And it to, to, so that tooth is hopeless. Um, it just needs to go. So putting everything we've discussed in this, um, in this podcast together would be to the evaluation of the assessment data. You know, I... Those assessments are very, very important, and thoroughly doing those assessments will help you to give the best um, diagnosis for your patient. Therefore, providing them with the best and most uh, the best care. Therefore, giving them a good, you know, hopefully giving them a good prognosis. Some things you are hopeless, but we want to try to keep them in that fair to good category. I think. Um, the selection of the dental hygiene interventions, right? So um, the evaluation of the individual pa patient's needs to develop these goals, the clinical findings, the evidence-based, you know, um, the evidence-based interventions that we to prevent. And then finally is our dental hygiene care plan and providing that care plan and going over it with our patients. Um, is really, really important. And the next chapter will really go into pr to putting that care plan together. So Monday in class, I mean Tuesday in class, excuse me, we will discuss writing our dental hygiene diagnosis statements and then getting into our um, uh, unmet human needs. And as always, documentation of all of this is necessary. You're going to document your periodontal status. You're going to document the EOIO exam. You're going to document their medical history. All of this is going to be documented so that it's in a nice, neat, um, orderly pattern so that the next person or person who is reading this knows exactly what was going on, what and what you were planning for this patient. I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, I enjoy talking about this stuff, so I look forward to class on Tuesday. Bye. Well, thanks for joining me today. Um, stay tuned for more process of care.